We are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and joining me once again, Kevin Durso. How are you, buddy? Doing well. How are you? Good. You had a good Thanksgiving? Yes. You as well, I hope. All right. Yeah, it was all right. Absolutely. So. <laughs> okay. All right. As we get into it here, we had a couple of games this week. Uh, before we do that, make sure to follow us on social media at YWT Podcast. Hit us on our YouTube channel. Um, subscribe over there. Hit the like button. All that happy jazz. Okay. Uh, right into it. Three games this week. And, you know, if if you're if you're rooting for the Philadelphia Flyers to make the playoffs, if you have drunk the Kool-Aid, then it wasn't really the best week for you. Flyers lose two or three. Um, you lose to the Islanders. You beat the or you lose to the Rangers. And then you beat the Islanders on Saturday. But um, start kind of early in the week. Uh, that first game in Long Island. Or mm-hmm. sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry on Long Island because they I will know. they will correct you. Um, I, I almost did it in my recap video <laughs> after Saturday, and I'm like, on, on, you better better I fix it. Better well, fix it. I, I started like. I hadn't even formed the word in and quickly like shifted it to on. So it was kind of like mentally yawn. fixed it yourself. Like it's like I said the word yawn. I went like yawn. <laughs> yeah, no. So it, it, you know it, that's funny, especially when you're trying to get as many words in in 60 seconds as humanly possible to preview or right. recap a game. Like yeah. But anyway, so go ahead. Yes, the first right. Game so, on, so we we say on Long Island. We get into that first game on Long Island, and Carter Hart lets up a questionable goal about a minute in, and then the Islanders play Islanders hockey for a while. Add a couple more in the second period, or add another one in the second period. The Flyers just never really catch back up on that one. They end up losing three to two. Um, what did what did you see in that game? Carter Hart didn't look the best, but it wasn't too too bad. The, the first goal was terrible on a bunch of different fronts, not yeah. just from Carter Hart, by the right. way. Cause, and listen, I had a lot of, like, and I've seen a lot of this since then because there's a lot of people who are immediately going to, oh, injured guys came back, now they started losing games, right? And, and, and it was obvious who they were referring to because right. Carter Hart misses a couple of games with illness, injury, you name it, right? Comes back and is part of the five-game winning streak that they had. He wins two games of his own, so it's not his fault, right? right? Right. Not him, and it wasn't like oh, when Sean Couturier missed games, that him coming back all of a sudden made a negative difference on the results. He won a game in overtime last weekend. Don't think he's influencing it. So it's clear you're talking you're talking about Mark Stahl, right? It's pretty clear. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt. It's his first game back since the fourth game of the season. This was game nineteen at this point. If we're talking Wednesday, so this was game number nineteen. Yeah, he's missed some significant time, and he's not the youngest guy. He missed fourteen games, right? Not a small chunk when you look oh. at the season as a whole. Like, no, he missed a month. Well, plus. And, when, and when you factor it in, like it's an eighty-two game season. You take fourteen games out of that picture, you're below seventy at this point. He won't right. make seventy games this year, whether that was by you know by choice or not. That's a whole other. I, I don't think he was going to play seventy games anyway. But you oh, know. I don't know about that. When you consider who comes in, who comes out, you know, we, we'll get there. Oh, we will. Lineup decisions are a whole other conversation. But, so he's back in, but really, I mean, like the play was also Zamula as much as it was anything else. By the end of that game, to be honest with you, and I'm not trying to jump one game to the next, but I was surprised that Zamula even played Friday, let alone That's fair. being out of the lineup on Saturday, because it sure pointed that direction. Like, first of all, I think that everybody thought that Mark Stahl coming back into the lineup whenever it was going to happen was going to be for Zamula. That's what I told you on Sunday. Yep. Did the show right after the Sunday game, and it was like, well, Mark Stahl could have possibly played this weekend. He didn't. So, because he didn't and they hadn't activated him yet, 
the thought was if we're going by this performance merit system, it's Samula because Belpedio's been more consistent. Yes, it was, absolutely. It was Belpedio who came out. Yep. And I certainly didn't have it on the bingo card of the 23-24 season that people would actually be asking for Louis Belpedio to stay in a lineup, but here we are. He um, has earned it. He has earned every second well, of it. And, and it wouldn't have mattered by the weekends, like the end of the weekend anyway. No, absolutely we'll not. We'll get into that. But nonetheless, he, so it's the first, I think it was the first shift too. The first shift that Stahl had with Zamula. They both make mistakes on the play in the corner. One turns the puck over. The other one doesn't seal off, like doesn't take away the defense, you know, the, the offensive player there. It doesn't take Anders Lee out of the picture. Anders Lee gets to go behind the net, gets to try to tuck it around to the short side, and stuffs it because Carter Hart didn't have the post sealed. Yep. That's how it goes. Simple as that. The bigger issue, and this actually ties into Friday's game as much as this game because they're very similar in this in terms of start. You're talking about this was a goal that was given up, what did we say? It was about a minute 45 in? I think. Yeah. Something like that. Slightly under two minutes. Right. So, and that's a theme. That, that'll be a theme to Friday's game as well, obviously. But, <laughs> Certainly. Well, as soon as that happens, something that hadn't happened the entire time. We had just had the show on Sunday, five-game winning streak. It's, you know, we were actually, like, we're sitting here going, you know, what do we make of this five-game winning streak kind of material, right? Yeah. And the one thing that hadn't happened over the previous five games was they were never losing in a game. They were no. they never trailed the entire time from, you know, maybe tie, maybe tie games a couple times, but they never trailed. They would get ahead in some way. They would play from in front. They, they were one of the most dominant teams in hockey for a stretch there. The, but the key was... There's were, an argument for that. Sure, but they were playing... The key was they were playing from a spot of control, which is which makes a difference. When you're, yeah. when you're the team that gets to play from the lead... It matters. And so, teams teams have figured out that if you come out and push them in the first two minutes and pot a quick goal or two, well, they're, they're not as good playing from behind. Well, in, and well, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you there to a, to, to a degree because I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm correcting you okay. on is, is that they're the teams already did that. That's fair. They, they could have been down against Carolina. They could have been down against Vegas, and they weren't huh. because the goaltending stood up. Right. I was gonna say some nights your goaltending just. Let's one slip by. And that was and, and wasn't that the big deal of the Islander game to start with anyway? Carter Hart doesn't bail you out for for a mistake. Carter yep. Hart made a mistake of his own because the post isn't sealed. The puck goes in. It's not even two minutes into the game. And just like it was almost at the exact same time frame as um as the uh San Jose game. Right, right. Almost the exact same time frame. And as soon as it happens that early, you know you're in for a, a different type of game. You're in for a legitimate fight. It's it's a battle. Absolutely. So, and, and I'm not trying to say, like, obviously, when you're playing Carolina and Vegas, you're in for a legitimate fight. It's just the longer that you go not trailing in the game, whether it's tied or you get the first goal, the longer that goes, the more you start to uh, – here's that word we threw around a lot last weekend. The more you start to believe – that you're going to come out on the right side because you're involved in the game. Right. What happens, you know, again, I'm not trying to jump too much all over the place, but what happens when you start Friday's game off and it's not just one but two goals in the first two minutes? What happens? You immediately know that you have an uphill battle, and it's not just because of the 2 nothing mark on the scoreboard. It's also because look at the Rangers' record. Look at what the Rangers had done. It's like you can't deny that. Now, like, imagine if that would have happened against Vegas. 
who had the <laughs> same kind of situation coming in. You play Vegas like that, you're going to go, uh oh, we're in trouble today. Right. You know, it, it's all. It, it might already be over no. because that's you know two mistakes and it's over. And, and instead, it, you come out, you weather the early storm against Vegas. Owen Tippett scores one before the end of the period, and you control a large, large portion of that game. Right, and 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 to be and to go the opposite direction in Carolina, they did like did they weather a storm? I'm sure, they did, but they scored on their first shot of the game, and it was questionable. <laughs> Fair, very yeah. Much the same thing happened in the Islander game in reverse. You know, Owen Tippett scores the first goal of that Carolina game too, but it's a quick shot. It caught the goalie by surprise. It's in the net, and you're not even two minutes into the game, and you've got a lead. And then how do you feel when you score again in the last minute of a period and you make it two nothing? Like the bigger that the lead gets, the more you feel like you can play with confidence and play from that stance of control. As soon as they lost control, and, and, and again, like I'm not trying to make it seem like the game was over at one, nothing. It's not. But no. When, but when you're pushing and you're playing, you're trying to push anyway, and you're playing against the goalie like Ilya Sorokin, who we will talk about again. Later, yes, sir. Um, when it doesn't, when it's not happening for you. Even in, even in this game, he saved 34 of 36. He had a 944 in this game. Still right. let up two goals. Like, it's crazy. At, at least in this one, like, the first period was not great. They still were outshot in the first period of that game. They took it to them pretty much for the rest of the game in terms of, in terms of possession and shots and, and all of that. Sure, and a lot of that's a lot of that score effects. Like that's just going to happen when one team is in the lead and the style that the Islanders naturally play. To their credit, the third period, though, at least I mean, third period they outshot them fourteen to four. Oh yeah, and to the Islanders' credit, block shots in the game were twenty six to fourteen. That's that's very Flyers of them, also very John Tortorella yes. of the Islanders. You know. I mean, look, not that the Islanders didn't I was gonna say they're long before. I'm Lou Lamorello has has Lou a tendency. Come on, I, I he's got a bit. He's got a bit of history with the subject of blocking shots. Right, and and that's the whole thing, right? Like, is that especially once they scored the second goal? Like, you're playing through the course of a second period where again you're right there with them, and they score the second goal, and it's like great. Now, you, like now, you know it feels like it's over because you're already struggling to find one. And ironically, they scored right after. They, they, they erased that, that goal in the second period in a matter of, you know, a minute or so. You know, It was, uh, it was a minute eight, 68 seconds. Um, and again, and, and, well, and here was the interesting part of this third period. They gave up a goal again early in the third period. And so, again, you're doing the two-goal margin, which in the third period is very chasing it. Oh, yeah. Here's the key, though, or here's the catch to that goal. That goal was 233 into the third period. From that point on, I believe it was – I know Nick Deloria didn't touch the ice again because he was on the ice for the goal against – I think Scott Lawton also. Okay. Like, so, somebody missed an assignment. Brock Nelson got back door wide open, and two forwards never saw the ice again for the rest of the game. Yep. John Tortorella has no problem sending that message. He doesn't, but so, for some guys, that message comes only within the game in that situation, and for well, some, it will be you're in and out of the lineup. And in that specific game, two veterans getting benched led to two young guys maybe getting a little bit more ice time, and Joel Farabee and Bobby Brink combined for the goal that made it 3-2 and gave the Flyers a shot in that game. Uh, very late in the game, unfortunately, because it goes to show you how well, there, there was still four minutes left. There, there was. I'm saying, which goes to show you how much it took for them to get one. Right. Trying to get two. Right. Um, but you get two kids getting some ice time. You get a goal with four minutes left, and all of a sudden, you're back in a hockey game that you have no business winning. Well, I guess you kind of do, but like, well, the Islanders were vulnerable coming in. Let's not for let's sure not ourselves there. They, the Islanders games were winnable games, and what you had happen in this situation was is it's almost unfair to even call it goalied because 
goalie is what happens when a goalie who you don't expect to do it. Like when they lost in San Jose and it's Mackenzie Blackwood goalieing you, that's a different story. Man, he's been really good for them this year. Like he's had, it, he's had to be. Well, and he has been. Like he is stereotypical decent goalie who looks like an absolute Vezina candidate on an absolutely garbage team there's a few i think there's a few guys around the league that you could say, not not on garbage teams per se but there's a few goalies around the league that you could say are playing probably above their usual i mean yeah one, one of them plays one of them plays for the rangers by the way not the one that, that was seen on friday afternoon but why I, I i think the goalies spent 12 months hearing about how all this new skill is in the league and how scoring is up and how the old goaltenders are done and that you know, that whole era is over and blah, blah, blah. And they went, ah, 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 ah. Give us some time. They adjusted. And now goaltending is back a little bit. Just from the top 10 alone in goal in goals against average anyway for goalies, I can pull out three names that I would say are, I don't want to call it overachieving, just are playing beyond their typical averages. Let's just call it that. Okay. One of them, like I said, one of them is a Rangers goalie who was not seen on Friday afternoon. So Jonathan Quick is playing way of like they've turned yeah, he is. back with Jonathan Quick. That's what it really is. It's not that he's like he was that goalie in 2012. Picked him up on the fantasy waiver wire, by the way. Nice. Yeah. Um, he's he's playing way above expectation. Um, I would say that just and this is this is much more because again he's a backup. Let's be real. Like just start sure. the guy. We right. Have, he's never going to start fifty like, games for that team. Guys that are legitimately starting a lot of games and playing above the numbers are Cam Talbot for LA because he started the majority of their games. He's got a two point oh two goals against. That is way above typical expectation. So what is it? Once every like eight years, Cam Talbot pulls a great season out of his hat. Well, I mean, you could, you can say the same thing about not 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 once every eight years, but you can say the same thing about Tristan Jari, and it's every other year he's good. Well, that's fair, but a lot of goalies are like that. Sergei Bobrovsky's like that. Like lots of goalies do the year on year off thing. I guess. But uh, John, Cam other- Cam Talbot was a Vesna candidate in Edmonton, and now here we are, and he was, and he's been awful ever since for several teams. Yeah, I know. And now here we are in 2023 talking about him having a 202 for the LA Kings. Hello. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, anyway, the other one I'm throwing in is James Reimer at 2.30, by the way, because and Detroit's had a really good year. Don't get me wrong. Like they're one of those. And we're going to we, in addition to all the flyer stuff we're going to get to because we, we are getting to the quarter mark of the season. So, yes, we are going to um, now that the weekend is pretty much in the books. We will do the Thanksgiving weekend primer on playoff games. So, yes, I will, I will give you that. Absolutely. Um, but like everybody else, like like you've got goalies that are in the middle of the pack here in this league leader category for goals against that are like middle of the pack with a solid goals against, but not like, but you're going to hear numbers that are like, Oh, usually that's good enough to be like 10th. And it's not right. Like, right. Like you mentioned, Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky's had a 2.65 goals against average. That's perfectly fine for where he is in his career. Typical of his numbers. That's Most seasons. Yeah. 16th in the league. Connor Hellebuck's also at two, six, five. Jake Ottinger's at two, seven, one. Typically, that's a decent goals against. Like, you're in between two and three. That's not a bad thing. But it's coming across. Like, but you're not, you're barely in the top 20 with that because there's other yeah. goals that we're putting at the top of this list that we're going. Like, like we said, Jonathan Quick's got a 1.99 goals against average. That's absurd. It's insane. And, yeah. and a 930 save percentage. Now, he's, I, I would not throw, like, he's not really a Vesna candidate because he'll split so much time. Like, but Cam Talbot's right. Like, Cam Talbot's having a Vesna quality year so far. At 202, oh, yeah. 9.31, or 0.931. 
at the quarter mark, and like we're not necessarily going to do breakdowns on awards and stuff at the quarter no, mark. No, no, we'll no. we'll do it. We'll do it. Maybe we'll do it around halfway. But um, but if we did, I think he would very much be in the conversation for the Vesna. Like, well, here's here's another. And this, this ties it back into the Islander game for a second. Sorokin played brilliantly in both games that they had against the Islanders because he started both. He played brilliantly, right? Yeah. Up to that point, though, he had been terrible. Right. He had a bunch of bad starts that were uncharacteristic of him, and then came and we, and had one of the brilliant games against the Flyers. We snap out of it against the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay. Yeah, but at least at least the other. Well, we'll get to the other Islanders yes, later yes. because. That was the, yeah. Sorokin played brilliantly, but that was the loss. That was the or the win on the week, I should say. That was not right. a loss. So we'll get into that in a minute. But right. Well, I feel like we probably want to shift gears more toward the Ranger game. Of well, as as we do that, I did also want to kind of briefly pass over Thanksgiving and mention why are there no games? Now I know I know there's a lot of American teams, and I I know there's a lot of American players, and I get that. I really do. But here's the thing. Give me give me a Canadian game. Give me Leafs versus Montreal. Give me Vancouver versus Edmonton. Give me give me something. Your complaint while valid. Um at least it's like it is it is a very big traditional thing for the NHL to avoid playing on these holidays. Okay. At all possible. And I respect that because I think that at the end of the day like I think about in general, athletes, me, in terms of being going down to cover a game, I see all these other sports. You go, you know, I wouldn't want to deal with what the NFL deals with, and we're going to play on every major holiday. Right, the, but NBA it, does, the NBA it, does not play on Thanksgiving. They do on Christmas. But it's not a holiday in Canada. That's what I'm saying. I know. But, so you run it run it in your Canadian markets. Well, so the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that thing. Because they play games on Canadian Thanksgiving, don't they? Um, That's a good question. Actually, I don't know. I don't, I'm I pretty sure they do. I don't think so anymore. Okay, because okay. Because Canadian Thanksgiving is technically Columbus Day. Oh, okay. And they take do they take that off? Well, the season hasn't really started yet. Oh, uh, that's fair. Okay. Pre-season and, and regular season. That's so they probably do that on purpose. Honestly, they probably start the season. At, that makes sense. Okay. Right. Well, because when was the last time you can remember the season starting? Like at one point, we used to start this stuff up on October second. I know. Not anymore. Um, beyond the point. Um, there's so. I'm willing to excuse on both accounts, even in even in Canada, that there is not games on Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. But the Tuesday was a joke. Yeah, for and and there's and there's again the reason behind it was even an even bigger joke to an extent, because here's here's the reason why. Like this answers your question about why not on Thanksgiving itself, right? And when you factor this in, it well, it's because they don't want to compete against football. Well, sure, that's that's a primary reason, I'm sure, but also, so. There was no games on Tuesday either this week. Like, and that really is baffling because you're sitting there going, "Why is there a day in November on a random Tuesday in November, and holiday week or not, that there's no games on?" Right. In any sport, for that matter. Right. right. Apparently, the reason, and I saw this, and I don't remember who tweeted it, and I don't. Oh, know. this is going to make me angry, isn't it? Um. No, logistically, it makes sense. It just is. You're gonna. You're gonna then ask yourself, how is this possible that every like it, okay situation. It has less to do with the league and more to do with the buildings, to be honest. So you okay. yourself how the buildings let this happen, I guess, more than anything. So the American teams prioritize this weekend for hosting games. because, And I think that there's there's validity. Uh, that's, absolutely. That's a, yeah. Listen, it's a major travel holiday. 
if you can surround the rest of the weekend with we have home games, you know, anybody going home, like, right. Yeah. People make traditions out of this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like the Flyers playing every, you know, Black Friday. Yep. There's tradition out of that. So the American teams prioritize being able to host games at that time. So most of the Canadian teams, it means, are on the road. So you're starting to wipe out those seven teams right then and there to begin with. Apparently, on Tuesday of this week, the only three buildings in the league that were actually available were Calgary, Vancouver, and Arizona. <laughs> what? That's what I saw. Like, I believe, I, I, I suppose I believe that. I mean, you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet, but. Uh, it was, it, one of the national NHL guys had it. So wow. Believe, that is, but, that is wild. So you had the two teams like Calgary and Vancouver that are automatically kind of relegated to have your road trip because the American teams want the home games. And the only American arena that was available was the mullet. Wow. It holds 5,000 people. So you can right. imagine how that's a huge showcase for you. You know. Now, I, look, I'm not trying to dispute the other parts of the, the equation with this because it's like, listen, we already know in Philly that the, the, the Flyers share the building in terms with another pro team, let alone concerts, right? Like, right. So I, the NBA would never find itself in this situation. But if they did, they would put – they would make Connor Bedard's first game in Arizona that night and put it on national television. I hear you, and I I know well. And well, and in in, in fairness to the uh, to the NHL, it was not close to their. Uh, and we're not we don't need to get into this on the show, but it was not even close to their biggest misstep of the week. I mean, no, of course not. <laughs> it never <laughs> is. The schedule stuff is never the NHL's biggest screw up. Okay, so like, all right, so, so let's 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 play this card right now. Actually, this is kind of this is kind of sad to begin with because this means that every already because there were no games on Tuesday. I just said, and apparently every building was unavailable. Right. Only the Flyers and the Kings, if I'm doing my math correctly here, and then doing my locations correctly, I'm going to double check the, because uh, because the Lakers play in crypto, so like, oh, right, right, right. So the Kings did not have the option of home game. Neither did the Flyers because the Sixers and the Lakers were at home. The other three home games in the NBA that night were in Orlando, Atlanta, and Phoenix, of which we know in Phoenix they don't share the building. Right. So. So that means that every other arena in the in the league, going which you include so San Jose, Anaheim, all the rest, you name it, right. had a concert of some kind to not be available, right? Or something. I mean, or something else. Another I, show of some variety and event. Suppose that I suppose that also some of these buildings could have, in theory, done what the Wells Fargo Center does at times and hosted a college basketball game. Right. You no, know, to a bigger audience. So in Washington, that could have happened. In Boston, that could have happened. In there's a lot of markets where that could have happened. I, in New York, I know what was going on. To be honest, roughly around that time, because Billy Joel had a concert at, at MSG. Okay. One of his residency residency shows. But it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. If they decided on Tuesday, we're using it to set up because they they did host a game on Saturday. But I could see like a Carolina having a basketball game. Well, who was the other one that I saw that had to do something kind of ridiculous? I think it was it, it wasn't Boston, was it? Maybe it was. I don't remember. But one of these teams, the Rangers had like the Rangers played in Philly on Friday and then were hosting on Saturday. Right. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> Maybe it was the Islanders then. Maybe that that I'm thinking of. The Islanders had the home game against the Flyers on Wednesday. 
had to travel to Ottawa on oh, Friday no. and then come back and host the Flyers again on Saturday. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like, can you imagine though? Like, all right. Let's get into that Rangers game, though, sure. because on Black Friday, we have our traditional uh, Black Friday game. It is not always the Rangers, but it feels like it is. No, but I did some I had some interesting okay. about this because it's okay. an interesting type of thing, because the, there's two things about the Black Friday game that I've noticed over the years. And the Rangers are probably the most common opponent for one. Right. Um, which is not like here or there. It's just I know it, it makes a lot of sense. They're a close the last, team. I just right. noticed over the last several years that the Rangers are a common opponent. But right. the times have been all over the place. This this game has started over the years anywhere from at one point in time there was one year it was as early as eleven o'clock in the morning. Yep. Because, and which had to do with Canada, by the way. Oh, they, interesting. They, I think they play. Some, I, somebody said, and I don't, I'd have to go back and check. I'm not going back that far. I, 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 I no, no, yeah. Well, I wasn't covering at the time. So when I from like the games I've covered on Black Friday, I remember most of these. Obviously, I try to anyway. Right, right. Um, this, this was before I was covering the team. I think they played Winnipeg when they played at 11 a.m. and it had to do with like oh, okay. Um, something across Canada. What was there was going to be a, again? They tried to stagger their start times for all of these Canadian teams, and they just made it like a big telethon, so to speak. Um, but they've played games at really weird times. Otherwise, they've played it. I think at three, at four, at five. Five. Yep. Five thirty. Last year's was five thirty. It was against Pittsburgh. Yep. They played Pittsburgh at five thirty, which, again, kind of to tie into the whole Thanksgiving week thing for you. There's no game on Thanksgiving, which means that Thanksgiving for people like me who go down and then cover the Black Friday game is right. nice because you can make your plans however you make your plans. You have a full day off no matter what. Right. right. But, it, but it's a weekend, you know, like you want to have the weekend or people are around. Some people may be in from out of town or it's just you're trying to fit everybody into your schedule. You're trying to fit family, friends, etc. So sure. the difference is you're, when you have the Black Friday game and it's like it was this year where it's one o'clock in the afternoon. One o'clock in the afternoon is right in the wheelhouse. You go down, yeah. you do the game, you know, I probably show up between 11 and 1130. The game's at one. The game ends before just before four o'clock. You're home by dinner. You go home. You have an e- You have the evening. Bingo. Yep. Exactly. What happens though when it's you know when it's five thirty? When it's five thirty, it means you're leaving to go down there midday. It's like two thirty to leave to get down there. So you're getting down there at about three three thirty, hopefully. So again, you're right in between that two hours before game time thing. The game takes until you know for five thirty. Game takes until at least eight o'clock to play. Post game adds another hour to it, nearly another hour to it. Next thing you know, you're getting home. It's 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. Food is weird. Do you eat before? Do you eat after? And even that's beside the point because you make do with whatever the situation is. It's it's the idea of including other people in your schedule because you may go and see one family on Thanksgiving itself and then you're trying to fit everybody else into the equation. And immediately with a 5.30 start, you take that and you wipe it completely out of the picture. Right. You even do it it to an extent with 3 o'clock because even 3 o'clock, the game ends. It's between 5.30 and six i don't leave until closer to seven next thing you know it's eight o'clock at night and and let's put it this way you can't expect people especially if it's family to an extent like you can't expect people to be like pushing midnight with stuff right of course like if you're getting together with friends maybe like it's like the night can still be young at eight o'clock at night don't get me wrong but i don't know i'm getting a little old for that and i said can still oof that sounds awful. I'm not gonna, look, I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that I went. I, I I didn't watch like I didn't watch Saturday's game at home. I watched like I watched out with a few friends and like. I plan on I plan on being in bed by about eleven o'clock on New Year's. So. Well, we can. <laughs> but 
like perfect example for you. That that game ended that seven thirty start on Saturday night again when they played yeah. again. Ended because it ran low, ran a window shootout. Well, yep. it, it also didn't start uh, officially until like of course not forty eight or something like that. Of course not. You know, seven thirty puck drop. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, I like, hate you know, it. We've we've talked about it on the show for years. Hate I, it. The game really started closer to eight o'clock, so it ended closer to ten thirty. Let's just be real, right? Yeah. Especially with, like you said, overtime shootout. You name it. Um. Well, so it was about ten thirty when the game was over, and let me tell you, the game was over, and everybody got their stuff together, and it was like, see ya. Good night. Yeah. Bye. Tired. Things now, to do tomorrow. Granted, it's it's it, it, it part of part of the Thanksgiving weekend is you're eating, you are you're eating, you're drinking, you're being merry, as they say, and that just brings on like the sleepy feeling, you know, after a certain point, like you're driving right. after it's all over. So, um, either way, the bottom yeah. line is one o'clock is an ideal wheelhouse for the, for these games, especially the home games. Like I can live with a seven thirty road game start because there's there's just like. I'm doing it from home. Like, there's nothing I can do about that. So, one o'clock when I got to go is like perfect. Right. And you might have been prepped, awake, and ready to go, but it does not seem like the Philadelphia Flyers were because Mika Zibanejad scores 45 seconds into the game. By the way, the common thread in looking at some of these previous games, by the way, is that the only times in the last maybe seven or eight years that the Flyers have played the Black Friday game at one o'clock have all been against the Rangers. Oh, interesting. Every other time, and they faced teams, like I said, it was Pittsburgh last year, they faced the Islanders one year. I think one year it was even more. Was that when they played? Did they play Calgary one year? I don't remember. There was a game that was against Calgary. It was on like a Saturday afternoon or something like that, or a Friday afternoon maybe or something like that. But I know they played the Islanders, and I know they played. I think they played Pittsburgh maybe a couple times. One year they didn't even have it because the uh, the fifty six game or didn't start until January after right in October. So there was no Black Friday game, so you can skip that one. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just ironic to me that every time it's come back to the Rangers are going to be the team in town. It's the one o'clock start, and so I yep. wonder. I wonder if the Rangers have a little input on that as well. <laughs> you think it's a long con because you know the Flyers don't start early. Well, I, <laughs> I will say this, and I maybe maybe the Vegas game aside, because the Vegas game was a one o'clock afternoon start as well. Okay. Before, I was about to kind of get into going in toward that one anyway, where it was going to be John Tortorella is going to boycott these games by the end of the year. And just sit there and say, we're not playing at 1 o'clock anymore, so deal with it. You know that, what I mean? That's funny. We'll wait until 7. Um, In general, because they played it. Well, let's just wait. It doesn't even have to be. like, And they can't control it if it's not their games, by the way, obviously. Like, right. The home team can kind of set this. But they played They played Ottawa at 1 o'clock, second game of the season. It's the one game that for a long time that Tortorella kept coming back to us. That was the one game that we really got it handed to us. You know what I mean? John Tortorella is going to start planning six hours of pregame ceremonies so that the game doesn't start at 1 o'clock. So you had that one. You had the game against Anaheim that they lost 7-4. to four. You had the oh. game. Um, they had one prior to that in November, I believe, correct? Before the Vegas game, I'm talking. Um, didn't they play in the afternoon? The, the L.A. game was not. No, so I guess not. But so the Vegas game was finally one that they snapped out of it. And then they play this one. And you're right. Like, talk about just a, well, you know what, though? Like, sleepy start to an extent, sure. But, like, the Rangers make a play on on your attempt to be aggressive to start the game. Right. The first minute. And then the turnover is the turnover. I mean, it's just a bad mistake, and there's nothing you can do about that. But it's it's still, it, nonetheless, it was still bang bang two nothing Rangers. You basically spotted them a two nothing lead to start the game. Right. And then 
played them all right from there. I'm not going to try to make it seem like it was terrible. Like that that game could have gotten massively out of hand. They even at, even at three nothing, it looked like they were going to just bury you throughout the course of the game. And in fairness, they scored a goal that got taken off the board late. You know, they had a shorthanded goal that was taken off the board late as the as the as the power play was miserable once again. Um, yep. Which, by the way, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of discord on this online after the game because there's some people that are sitting there saying that. Like people, people in my shoes are going to sit there and tell you that, like, because of course he was. John Tortorella was asked after the game about the, because this was probably his shortest press conference of the year, by the way. Um, which the score wasn't really a rhyme or reason for it. There were actually a few games, like they got look, they got walloped a couple weeks earlier against the Kings five nothing. That feels like the game where he just comes in and hits you with the I'm not. I don't even need to take your questions. We just sucked tonight. We're gonna right. put it, we're gonna look we're gonna look by it and move. Yeah, I'm trying to use the exact verbiage here because you know, okay because you've heard him. You've, you'll have heard him a million times by the time he's no longer the coach here anyway. Absolutely. We're gonna move by it, and that's the way it's gonna. You know what I mean? And that's all there is to it. So I'm not taking you know bubble. You know, we, we'll pull out all the classics. Yeah, we know the tortisms. Yeah. Right, and instead, like he was honestly better after a five nothing game than he was after this three one game. Right. Um, one of the questions was regarding the power play, which, when you go zero for six, should be asked. Yes. It's quite literally the reason that you lost the game. Outside of like, yes, you did. Did you not start on time to an extent? Of course, you didn't start on time. You gave up two goals in the first two minutes of the game. I get it, but the power play is zero for six, and they were. In, especially early in the third period, they're asking you to stay in the game. It's 3-1, third period. They take one penalty, you don't score on it. They take a delay a game immediately after. They're asking you to stay in the game. They're begging you, begging you to get to get, to get back in the game. Not execute. Yep. And so I'm sorry, you know, if the coach wants, you know, and the coach does not have to get, like, Torts does not have to answer the question with extreme detail. He does not have to answer the question even in the most cordial way possible. He can sure. just say, yeah, it sucked, and we need to find answers, and leave it at that. That's at uh, least acknowledging that it's the reason that co it, that's costing you gains. That's all right. you're Instead of, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking right. about it is not being accountable. And that's what you're all about this year, right? Like, all he's been about is accountability. Well, you're not being accountable to yourself, to the guy who runs the power play, Rocky Thompson, to the right. players on the power play. You're not being accountable to any of them by saying, I'm not going to talk about it. Right. You're, that's not admirable falling on the sword for it. Like, you could sit there and say, I need to lead this thing better and put everybody, my coaching staff, my players, in a better position. Because guess We need what? to put a better plan in place. We need to, whatever you it is. Play. You right. went 0 for 6 on the power play in that game and didn't change one thing. Yep. You and you absolutely could have. You ran the same units out there. You ran the same style out there. And you don't have, like, like it's apparently obvious that what your goal would be is you run a 1-3-1 one, one on the power play. Your goal is to try to get low to high here. And low to high can be a couple of things. It can be get from the goal line, you know, goal line to, to flank to point and then try to get a shot on goal quick. Or it can be just go goal line to bump Straight to the slot. Yep. Right, and get it on goal. And they couldn't do either. Like they couldn't do either thing in that in that situation, which then leads to basically a constant motion of maybe you get it down below the goal line, but for the most part, it's flank to point to the other flank, back to the point. Let's keep looking. Let's keep doing. This. And you know what I see consistently when that happens? Retreat. Yep. They back up and they get closer to the blue line. It leads to turnovers. It leads to mistakes. It leads to not being able to get anything through, and that's a problem. And yep. And you don't change that up. You don't make any changes to the personnel. Let's let's be real about something. Go look at who the power play units have been 
for the most part. And I'll check I'll check what Daily Faceoff has because Daily Faceoffs are usually really good about this. But I can tell you for sure and certain. I can tell you without question who the two defensemen are who run the show. And you, yes, Travis Sanheim kind of deserves to run one right now because he's had absolutely a, he's had a decent enough start. You know, the mistake in that game aside. Yeah. To sit there and say you have a shot to quarterback a power play here. Yep. And then on top of that, you've got Travis Konechny, Sean Couturier, Tyson Forster, and Cam Atkinson on the top unit. Here's your first problem with, with that whole situation. You have Forrester in a position where good luck getting him the puck because they got him playing the bumper for the most part. Yep. Atkinson and Konechny are playing the flank, and Konechny wants to shoot. He's been the guy who's been holding the puck the longest in terms of, not like in terms of that he's not shooting. It's He's the guy with possession most of the time because he's the next best guy handling yes. the puck to try to make a play on that unit. And as a result, everybody can just key on him the whole time. So he doesn't have a shooting lane. He'd have to force the shot. So you really have no choice. And yeah, Couturier playing below the goal line, which, again, by the time it gets to him, he's covered. Yep. So good luck. There's no motion whatsoever. Like, they can try to move the players around a little bit, but then nobody's willing to shoot. They just keep moving backwards. That's that's the problem right there. You go to the second unit. Now, this has just changed from Friday because Morgan Frost was not in the lineup on Friday again. So... And I'm not tr- again. I'm not trying to bring this up like it's a Morgan Frost point. It's right. just, it's it's the merit system because because yep. somebody finally you know, they're not finally. But I've seen the question floated around, and I had it asked to me about why you know. And and this is ironic for where the, where Saturday's game goes. But somebody asked leading into Saturday's game, why is Tyson Forrester in the lineup? From you know, yeah, because because at the end of no, because at the end of the day, what do you see? The stat line, you know. And that's what most people are going to go off of. And realistically speaking, if you wanted to play the stat line game, you could argue that instead of Morgan Frost being the guy who has consistently been sitting out games, you could argue that Forrester could come out. You could argue that Noah Cates could come out. You could argue that Scott Lawton could come out. You could argue that Cam Atkinson could come out. Because Cam Atkinson for the last maybe 10 games has not done a lot. Hardly, hardly anything. Yeah. Cam Atkinson has eight goals on the season. When was the last time he scored a goal? It's been a minute. I, I don't. It's, I'm not trying to blame you know. Cam Atkinson by himself. What I'm getting no. at is what I'm getting at. It takes the whole team. What I'm getting at is that what a lot of people are going to see is Morgan Frost can't crack the lineup, but we're going to consistently roll out everybody else who has struggled to score goals because you know while Frost actually has equal number of points and potentially more goals than some of these guys. Right. Not to not to jump over the Ranger game again because we're still on the power play for an extent, but like. Frost came up in the shootout before the game winner was scored. Right. With, and actually, ironically enough, comes up in the third round, no goals have been scored in the shootout. He could be the game-winning goal. And right. I, in the room with all the other guys I'm watching the game with, I turned around and even said, this would be poetry if he scores here. <laughs> Just because he's been out of the lineup for so long, it would be poetry if in the shootout, and I understand it's not your traditional goal, but it doesn't matter. Nobody else has scored the whole game. Right. So if, some, so if he is the only guy who scores to win the shootout, this is poetic justice, practically. You put the guy in the lineup finally to sit some, you know, by the way, to sit somebody else. Like, like here's another example, too. And this is really for, this is, this is what was force feeding the issue. You know, by the way, defensively, the other guy who's running a power play defensively is Sean Walker. And I get Walker's had a decent year. I'm not trying to take away from the conversation we had a week ago. Right. Sean Walker. But at the end of the day, wouldn't you think that Cam York is the guy who gets that spot? And I'm not saying Cam York has even been that great of an offensive player. He's not. Like right. He hasn't shown he can quarterback a power play. But he should theoretically be filling that role. He should theoretically be getting that chance. Yeah. Point. And instead, you just go with Sean Walker because you like what Sean Walker's done. 
Well, right. And because he, he's got 400 games or whatever it is. Well, exactly. Yeah. But, like, the other part of the equation is, like, and, and this is a perfect example of it, okay? Before Morgan Frost is in the lineup, do you know what the center lineup was? Because <laughs> it's relatively embarrassing. Sean Couturier is at the top of the list, and I understand that part. Fair. Everybody gets that part, right? Under normal st- circumstances, who's your second-line center if that's the case? Given everybody else that's on the roster, who would be your second-line center under normal circumstances? Under normal circumstances? Everybody... Like, me- like meaning everybody on the roster is available. You have right. a player to your disposal. So in a normal setting, like who would you think? would be the second-line center. Like, who's the next best center on the roster? Hmm. If you're going straight center, by the way. Or, like, or ability to play. Right. And who's the next best center on the roster? Because this is, this is why this is becoming, like... Well, and this is why the Flyers aren't a good team, right? Like, this is why when, yeah. we, look at, when we look at it as a whole, the, the, the successes they've had are probably not sustainable. It's because you look at it and you go... <sighs> Um, Morgan Frost, or maybe, uh, maybe Scott Lawton. Um, does Travis Konechny want to try center? I don't. Um, I I hear you. But, but, like, no, I agree. But, like, that's what I'm saying. You gave the correct answer. Right. Morgan Frost is the next best center on the team. Right. Do everything the right way because Scott Lawton has played wing a lot more recently. Yep. Not. Noah Cates is probably the third if you go that far down, but here's the catch with that. You have a choice with Noah Cates. Noah Cates can either play in your bottom six, be a center, and be a defensive specialist. Right. Or, he, or you can say, we need to increase the offense, which is, by the way, this is a common line this year from John Tortorella, to give him more of an offensive opportunity, then you can put him on the wing. Because as yes. soon as he was, they put him on the wing against the Islanders, and as soon as he was on the wing, his possession's better. He's got more opportunities as a result. He's not getting them at center. Right. And oh, by the way, if you want to take Scott Lawton out of the running for a center position and say he's better equipped to be a winger. Which is fair. Then the guy who is the fourth center is the guy that for the last week and a half, John Tortorella has tried to convince himself deserves more offensive opportunity. And that has run its course already by this point. That's Ryan Paling. I was going to say, are you talking about Ryan Paling? Yes. Okay. Because, like, I get it. He's, you know, did he have a couple good games? Sure. But at the end of the day, he's a fourth-line center. Fair. That's what it is. So stop trying to create these situations and, and kind of doing it out of spite and because, no, Because why is Ryan Palin getting second-line center minutes? I know. Because you won't play Morgan Frost. I, I know. And, like, I do understand, like, you're – Every lineup has a, a talent curve, right? Like your top liners have the most talent and then it generally curves downward. Your talent curve is flat enough in your bottom six that you can kind of play Ryan Paling around. Getting him up into the top six is a little bit questionable. But okay, you're, you're, there's enough flexibility in an NHL roster that I can see Ryan Paling getting some opportunities to see if something clicks somewhere else. He has been good enough that I think he has earned a little bit of a bounce around, right? Like you have an 82 game season. You don't need to have your, you know, right? like you you have some time to experiment. You don't need to have everything locked in every single night. Like you're gun in game seven of the Stanley cup. Right. So two separate convert, not, they're not conversations, but one was a conversation I had in the press box on Friday. And one was something that I saw, saw tweeted out that 
I thought was hysterical because it's kind of true. Okay. Um, so I'll start with the conversation point because the conversation point was, and we've had conversations, by the way, this conversation is all was three talking points in one that we've had on, on the show because we talked about shooting percentage or at least accuracy shooting and kind of how it centers around Owen Tippett specifically. Okay. And that, so that was one part of it because if Tippett could hit the net, because perfect example, they played the Islanders on Wednesday and they lost Owen Tippett missed the net like six or seven times. He had like nine shot attempts and had one shot on goal. It was tough. That's pathetic yeah. for a guy who's got a shot. Like yep. everybody else doesn't play like that. And if you had, you know, and if you could get people, you know, around, get people in who help can help him with that, you know, like part of the conversation was, let's be real about something. You're this, and this came out fairly recently. So this is why it's relevant. You're the seventh most valuable franchise in the NHL. You've got money. Hire yep. a coach to help shoot it. Right, you're owned by literal Comcast. Right, like, you're owned by a business. You have a new guy representing ownership who seems to go be willing to go to any length to make it better. Oh Why yeah. Somebody help your help who's your a help fan? You? Right, right. Who's no? Not only who's a fan, by the way, but who I've seen exponentially more than the previous guy by far. I mean, like, even when they lost the game on Friday, we're walking out of the room after the tourist press conference. There he comes. <laughs> You know, there's Dan Hilferty. So he's making he, he is making the rounds. He's there constantly. There's no question he's all in. But so number one, number one part of the conversation was the shooting percentages or the accuracy, right? The amount of shots that get through, the amount of missed shots. That's one part of the equation. The second part of the equation had to do with Noah Cates because someone brought up to me in the press box and in, in conversation that Noah Cates was asked to do the exact same thing in college. Okay. One year it was just go play. He had a decent year. The next year it was, we're going to focus you more on the defensive side of things. Okay. The numbers dipped. The next year it was, we're going to put you back in more offensive situations and move him to the wing. He starts scoring way more goals. Okay. So we've seen this development curve work with him before. It's not that we've seen the development curve work with him before. It's if John Tortorella would like to get more offense out of Noah Cates, all you would have to do is contact his college coach, who, by the way, is an ex-flyer. And I'm sure John Tortorella has. Like, let's be honest. Oh, I'm sure. No, I'm I sure he's know. had conversations with most of their most of these guys as coaches. I don't, know about that. I don't know about that. I think he sticks to an NHL like network here. Not really? No pun intended. Well, because he doesn't hesitate to tell you when they got Sean Walker, I called Todd McClellan right away. I wanted to know all about it. He doesn't talk about that with kids. That he'll still sit there and tell you, I don't know much about it. But I, th I window, think to him, the window is what I see at the NHL level is what he is. I don't care about the college. I don't care about the development. He cares about literally me. You know, I don't even know. And this is the truth. I don't even know if he's the one directly in conversation with Ian LaPerriere about the minor league stuff. It's okay. Danny Briere talks to, to Lappy. That one I completely understand. Briere. Yeah. That one, I, that one I understand because I could see Tortorella and Lappy, um, not necessarily getting along the best, honestly. Um, so it's probably it's probably better that that one goes through a mediator like Danny Breer. The funny um, part is, is ironically, you're saying that, and Lappy's exactly the type of player though that Torts would have loved. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, well, he would have loved him, but they would have screamed at each other on the bench and in the locker room. Potentially, I, I, and that's why and that's why Torts would have loved him. <laughs> 
but I don't know if it's the same if it's a colleague and you're both in suits and you know John's in that sweater and you're yelling at each other. Perfect, no, but like perfect example with the defensive core, by the way. So you had two changes that were made during the course of the week. Mark Stahl comes back, and then for Saturday, Rasmus Ristolainen was activated, ready to play, played, right? Okay, the first time around, Louis Belpedio comes out, which actually makes a lot of sense when you think about the fact that who's got the longer-term future probably between the two. So right. What were Belpedio? Not if, Louis. Whether he goes, whether he turns out to be exactly what everybody wants his ceiling to be or not is beside the point. He's got the better shot right now because what is the, what is the difference? Belpedio is what was what do you say? Is twenty nine? Twenty seven, I think he is. Or a little, yeah. Twenty nine is Walker. That's what. That's why. I right, right, right. The ages right now because it's 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 kind of all come down to that, right? So Belpedio right. is twenty seven. Zamul is twenty three. Big difference, you know. You got a guy with a lot more, you know, four more years of road in front of him potentially, and Belpedio's got less NHL experience at this point, probably than. It's probably pretty close, yeah. He, he, he I, I, defensive looks at different times, and that's why Belpedio hasn't sniffed the NHL until this year. Right, right. So this is at least has gotten a couple of different times where it's like we're going to give him a shot, and now we can go back. And that's the biggest thing, right? Because, like I said, like I told you several weeks ago, when around the time the Mule Andre went down, he's going to tell you Zamul is in the same situation. It's like, uh, think again. You know, he can't be placed through waivers, and you tell me what team is passing up taking a chance on a 23-year-old making less than a million dollars. Right, like why wouldn't the San Jose Sharks take him? Why wouldn't yeah, the, any- the Ottawa Senators, the, the Montreal Canadiens, like any, any, any team, any team needs a defenseman. Well, here's a perfect example. Let's just get to that standpoint where especially given, given exactly how it played out, by the way, because of Ristolainen and getting activated going into Saturday, the Islanders just placed Adam Pellick on long-term IR. Okay. And had... Who was the other one? I don't remember who else played yesterday completely. Like, because like I'm not sitting here studying the Islanders lineup. I know right. Sebastian Ajo was banged up a little bit, and I thought there was another injury that kind of had come out right beforehand. Like their defense, their defensive core was really banged up. They called up Grant Hutton, who ended okay. up playing. Um, yeah. Okay. So all of a sudden, overnight, quite literally, Scott Mayfield went from playing on the third pairing to playing in Adam Pellick's spot on the top pairing. Okay. That's how banged up they were. They had three different defensemen who, or two different defensemen who had not played, go into the lineup as their th- as their third pairing. P- P- uh, Pollock was out with the LT uh, going on LTIR. Aho couldn't play. You know they still had Dobson and Pulak and Romanov, and that that's great. But like, they basically had two new defensemen and a guy elevated from the third pairing to the top pairing, and claimed Mike Riley off waivers because you, you know because I think I think short term he wasn't going to play on Saturday. Long term it's we just had to put a guy who's on our top pairing on LTIR. We got to put somebody else in the third third pair. We got to play somebody, right? We have to fill out a lineup. So Mike Riley gets claimed, and it's but but like my point being, don't you think if Igor Zamula was one of the guys available, that maybe the Islanders would have said, "Hey, let's get yep. it." Oh, absolutely. Hey, here's some free money from our division, one of our division rivals. Do we want to try it? We right. need a defenseman real bad. Oh yeah, okay, sure, free. Exactly. You get the point, is my point. Either way. Absolutely. But that's the situation that you fall into every single time when that happens. You know, it's like you run the risk. You take Zamula out of the lineup and then insert back in both guys that we're talking about at this point because obviously, like, Ristolainen had to play too. So for Ristolainen, they had to make a change as well. You know, or well, Zamula was the change at that point because first it was Belpedio for Stahl. Now for uh, Ristolainen, it was Zamula. 
right? Right, right. So as soon as you take Zamula out of the lineup, by the way, your average age defensive core-wise is not close to being young and up and coming. No. You know, your youngest defenseman is you got Cam York, and that's about it. And then a long gap. Is Travis, Travis Sanheim is into that category. No, he, he is officially a veteran at this right. point. You've like Travis Sanheim playing alongside of York at that point, and then the rest of it is Nick Sealer, Sean Walker, and now Mark Stahl, Rasmus Ozan. Right, Travis Sanheim. Travis Sanheim's on what his third contract, maybe his fourth. No, it's probably third. Third, okay. Twenty-seven. Yeah. So, uh, he's 27, and he, did, and he did not debut at 18. So, uh, well, I just didn't know if he signed, like, a weird one-year bridge during COVID uh, type of thing. No, so. Yeah, okay. Bridge. His bridge was, I think, two or three years. Okay. And that's what got you to and then And then you jump-started that con, like, you jumped that contract with the extension. Uh, right. Again, until now. No, I know. I just, I like I said, I didn't know, like, that COVID year was weird. I didn't know if there was, like, a one-year extension yeah. in there somewhere, just because teams were doing weird stuff during the pandemic, so... Um, all right, so let's get into Saturday's game because, man, if you are a fan of goal scoring, if you are a fan of high action intensity, uh, lots of drama, lots of shots, lots of goals, incredible this, that, the other, you would not have been a fan of Saturday's game. It was a very long night. It was 0-0 through regulation. It was 0-0 through overtime. Both goalies get credit for a shutout. Uh, eventually, we go to the shootout. uh Tyson Forrester, as previously discussed here, Tyson Forrester wins it in the fourth round of the shootout after Morgan Frost fails. Because um, you set it up with all your Morgan Frost, this would be poetic, and then we just completely got derailed. Uh, in the fourth round of that shootout, uh, right. Tyson Forrester did score, and the game did end. Um, but man, what a defensive hockey game. I mean, did you expect anything different against the uh, <laughs> The Islanders? Islanders? No. So I didn't expect that, right? Like, you never go into a hockey game expecting to see 65 minutes with no goals. That part was surprising, yes. I mean, the defensive style was not surprising. The the double shutout was. Right. Uh, Sam Harrison played great. Sam Harrison did play great. And the good news for the Flyers at this point when, it re- when in regards to him specifically, because... I like Carter Hart didn't play bad against the Rangers. Obviously, he didn't play bad in the game against the Islanders the first time around. He didn't play bad. It's just, you know, obviously he didn't. Whatever, like the first goal we said against the Islanders the last time around, or the start against the Rangers. That's enough to get you chasing a game, and then you're stuck. And yep. Hart did everything else right because he kept them in both games. I mean, absolutely, really, you're in both games. When he, he, play, play, he played well, right? The encouraging thing for Arison is. Go look at the first, like, and I pulled up his game log, so I'll read it off to you. I'm not going to make you like, look it up, but I'm telling, like, for people if they wanted to look at it in front of, like, to actually yeah, read it. Yeah. Go look up the start of his season. And, you know, cause, because let's remember the conversations we had because Erson couldn't get into a game early on, right? So, like, he didn't start a game until they played Dallas, which I think was the fifth game of the season. Okay. Like, they had a good, consistent schedule where it was, like, they played in Columbus. They played in Ottawa. They came home. The two games were separated by a couple days. It worked out. They were going – I don't know if it was that they were going to have a back-to-back. I think it was just that they they used the Dallas game as an opportunity to get him in because Hart had played the first four. Right. Simple as that. And he – like they were in the game, so I'm not trying to take away from the result per se, but he gave up five goals on 25 shots. Right. And it was a rough debut, and it was kind of expected because he hadn't played in a game since the preseason. Sure. It was two weeks into the season, practically. So he hadn't played, or actually, I shouldn't say two weeks into the season. It was 
Their last preseason game was October 5th. He didn't play again until October 21st. That's right. a long time before you see actual game action. He didn't play again until the following week when they played Anaheim at home. And that was the game that I had told you about where the first time he played, they, they still had Felix Sandstrom up on the roster, up on the active roster, and they dressed Sandstrom to give Carter Hart the complete night off. No matter what happens, Carter Hart's not going into this game. Right. For the game against Anaheim, they did dress Carter Hart and say, be the backup, knowing full well they were never going to use him in the game. Right. And Sam Harrison then went out there and faced again 25 shots and gave up seven goals. And so got he, lit up. So through two games... His save percentage is just glorious. He's faced 50 shots and given up 12 goals. Yeah, it's not great. It's not. That's not a good way to build the kid's right. confidence. Right. So, and, and he and he was not happy after. And I had nothing to do with that. So, I guess I guess staying into the whole game, it was just like you could see it all over his face. Like the I know I can be better. This is not me. This was unacceptable. Right. right. It starts with me. All that stuff. The next time that Harrison played after that, his third appearance. Because he came in in relief when Carter Hart got hurt against Buffalo. And right. then, ironically, still had kind of a rough statistic night. He gave up two goals in the game. Because the, they had lost the game 5-2, to two, I think, against Buffalo. Okay. One of the goals was an empty netter. Hart was in for two of the goals. And after the second one, after the first one he was laboring, let's be real. But after the second one, couldn't even stay in the game anymore, came out. Right. So, from that point on in the game, Harrison only faced nine shots. Still gave up two more goals. They weren't no, they weren't necessarily his fault. This was, oh, right. this was picking spots, doing really well, but it didn't help his numbers any. And the Flyers had ultimately tied the game up at some point. Okay, so he took the loss. Right. So he got the decision in that game. Hart did not. Just unfortunate. So, by the way, just to, to put it into context, because the first two games you can do your own math with the five goals allowed on twenty-five and seven on twenty-five, two on nine because it's not a full game, is still a 778 save percentage. Oof. He's played, like, it's been miserable, right? Yeah. Yep. He comes out against Buffalo again two nights later because he's going to get the start. He was probably going to get the start regardless of if Hart was, like, just mildly banged up or if he was going to miss some time, right? Right. That night, 21 saves on 22 shots. Gets, gets his first win of the season. Looks Feels good. Home, right? Yep. The next game out was the San Jose game <laughs> where... He only gives up two goals, so that's not a huge problem. He only faced 19 shots, so the save percentage isn't going to look great, but it's not terrible. That's not, that's not his fault, right. right. But it's not terrible, and he takes a loss again. Yep. He's had three starts since then. 35 saves on 38 shots against Anaheim. They win the game. Yep. 20 saves on 22 shots against Columbus. They win the game. 25 save shutout against the Islanders. He's won four of five, by the way. Pretty good. Now that he is firmly in the backup seat, isn't that exactly what you want your backup to do? Yep. And then he starts a game. He gives you a shot to win. He's not giving up a ton of goals. Even when he gave up three goals to Anaheim, by the time he gave up the third goal, they were already up like five to two. Right. So he was comfortably ahead. It was what it was. Two of the goals were power play goals, by the way. So that's a rough, you know, like it's power play. It is what it is. Right. He's played really well since those games. Those yeah, games. and and we're not going to go into a full version of this because we kind of did it last week. Um, but if this is a good team, if this is a team with playoff aspirations, if this is a team that plans to kind of be in the race through February into March, right. then you're going to need 
a good backup. And you're going to need Sam Merson to not just be good enough, but to be good enough that you're sitting Carter Hart down twice a week sometimes oh. or like a, a solid rotation where Sam Merson ends up starting 30 or 35 games. Another consistency to this, by the way, is, okay, so like he, when he played Anaheim, or actually, I'll, I'll do you one better because he, he did this for the Buffalo game too because for the time being, when Buffalo and Anaheim, those two starts, so I'm not talking about the first Buffalo game, the second one. Right. Those two starts, he was technically the number one because that was after the heart injury and Hart wasn't back yet. Like the Anaheim game was that game where Hart was supposed to start both games of the weekend. And then yeah. He was sick. So right. He was healthy, but he wasn't. He was ill. He wasn't prepared to play. Right. Or, right. Well, he was one neighbor. Well, yeah, right. Um, so Cal Peterson started the back end of those two double headers, by the way, for what it's worth. But. But um, Erson typically would have played that weekend regardless. Like, it's a back-to-back setting. He was going to play regardless. It was just different order. The game against Columbus, though, was the usual expectation. Hart played Vegas the day before, so Erson gets Columbus. You know, Hart played the Rangers. Erson gets the Islanders. And lo and behold, because what did we say last week? You know, they had won two back-to-backs in a row, swept them which they hadn't done last year. And part right. of with you have a goaltender who can help you win those games, especially the second the second, the second half of the back-to-back. No, second back-to-back where he did well, win right. half is what I'm saying. Well, right. Because I don't, like, there was no sign that Cal Peterson was going to play the way he did it in L.A. No. after getting lit up against L.A. at home the week before. Right. That was it just impressive. Hart played great against Vegas, and then Arison was able to take care of business against Columbus. And then you don't win the game against the Rangers to start this back-to-back. And Arison gives you exactly what you would want against the Islanders in the back-to-back. So credit to him for that. Especially to outduel Sorokin, who was brilliant both games. Sorokin made 40 saves in the second game, by the way, or in the second Flyer Islander game this week. I just want to say I made some 2010 comparisons on last week's show, and he makes a really good Sergei Bobrovsky. That wasn't 2010, though. Uh, 2012. Oh, you're right. That was 2012. Oh, okay. Damn, we were close. If you were 2010, I thought you were going to tell me that he was he's Michael Layton or something. <laughs> no, that's less of a good that's less of a good comparison. Bob would have well, worked year, great. That year, that year was all over the place though, because at this point in time, well, Sandstrom never played a game for them. Peter right. Peterson did out of, again out of necessity. Um, but that like in 2010, they had rotated through. They had they had Bray Emery. They had Bush. They had. Layton. Layton, you know, they rotated through uh, a few guys. I think there might have been like one more goalie that got a sneak in there guy, at somewhere. Um, I, I well, that wasn't Antero Nitamaki, was it? No, by that point, Nitty wasn't playing anymore. Okay. Um, I know they had. I, I want to make sure I get this right before I say it because I know exactly and I know where to find I'm it. I'm pulling up the teams. Well, I know there was another goalie who backed up at least. Right. Because Layton played, Emery played. Don't re- okay. Don't remember this guy at all. Okay, so Johan Backlund. I remember Johan Backlund. Okay. Well, I don't think he played in a game. I think he just backed up, if I'm not mistaken. No, he did. He got okay. I'm sorry. He played in one game and it was a loss. Yep. He actually didn't play badly. He made 22 saves on 24 shots. So, but yeah, the majority of the workload that year was Michael Layton, 27 games. Ray Emery, 29 games. Brian Boucher, 33 games. Pull out this name for me. Johan Backlund got a game, and Jeremy Duchesne got a game. He got a game in relief, in fairness. Also, I assume it's pronounced Duchesne, and it's not Duquesne or some. Yeah, okay. No, I think it's okay. Um, I'm going to look. I want to look up for a second. <laughs> 
but those are the only name those are the only names on on elite prospects but 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 by the way apparently carter hutton was on that roster for a hot second oh yeah that's right they did have him briefly for uh and the other name here is sebastian carone yeah, again, I think he just backed up. Yeah, yeah, they didn't appear in games. But well, Duchesne only played 16 minutes, 44 seconds, so he was clearly a relief appearance. But yeah, Carter uh, Hutton, 37 okay, years old. Oh, okay, I see it now. So, so Jeremy Duchesne, his only game was April 1st, no less. Oh, no. Um, and Backland, I want to know. What, I'm going to look it up because I want to know what the date of that game was also for him. Hey, I played one NHL game. Yeah, when? April 1st? Yeah, okay. March, 20, March 27th for Backlund, by the way. Oh, so they were both junk time games at the end of the season. Well, no, because in 2010, they weren't in the playoffs. Oh, you're right. You're right. They were coming down the stretch. They had to win the shootout against the Rangers on the last day. Um, well, right, because everyone was hurt. Everyone was hurt. What game was this? It was game, okay, game three. Okay. Um, I, I, I assume that whoever it was had gotten hurt. Boosh, I guess. Had been hurt a little bit, maybe, or something like that. They threw Johan Backlund into the net in game three of the series against the Bruins for the final minute 24. So hmm. he has a playoff game on his career line. That's insane. I know. I know. Pretty funny stuff. Um, I was at game four when they, they put. Winner. Yep. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I wasn't at game four. I was at game six. What was game six then? What are you trying to get? Well, they they won to send it back to Boston, but during the game, uh, they showed Bush on the the jumbotron. He, it was his it was his like first game yeah, back he had, he had back around the five. team. Well, he had gotten hurt he got, in game five. Oh, right, 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 right. Because they won they won game five four nothing, and that was the game where he got bent over backwards and mm, oh right 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 right. And somehow, I mean, he returned by the cup final. Yeah, that that. That run was insane. I know. Um, I, I won a 30 for 30 on that team so bad. I hear you. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, um, give me right. all the Mike Richards drama. Right, Come so, on. Oh, by, oh, by the way, they, they close out the Islander game on that side. Yeah. Anyway, so the only goal of the shootout was scored by Tyson Forrester, ironically, by the way. Yep. Part of whole conversation. Sean Couturier tried the little backward skating move again, and it turns out Elias Sorokin's too good for that. I guess so. Um <laughs> Give Erson credit on the other end, by the way, because oh, he, he looked great. Erson made three saves in the shootout, not four, because the fourth one was technically a miss. It, um, right. But, and I'll get to that in a second. But all three saves, he had to make a save. First three saves, by the way, you're going up against three guys who know what they're doing in the shootouts, by the yep. way. It was Bo Horvat, Oliver Wallstrom. Oliver Wallstrom, for people who don't know, by the way, is the kid in the video in Boston who's like eight years old. Who does Just doing spins. Move. Yep. And then was drafted high. And then, oh, by the way, I think they said he's two for two in shootouts this year, by the way. Uh, he, he is, yeah. So he's he was he's obviously good. Um, and then you have, um, who was the other one who shot after him? Uh, uh, Mar- uh, Matthew Barzell. I was going to say it was Barzell, right? Who, did, who uh, I mean, is just a very talented goal scorer. Kyle Palmieri was the fourth guy, was the fourth option and tried to make a move and lost control, which which ironically is like, it's it's a perfect reason to set up the fact that that's when a goal gets scored as soon as somebody loses control of the puck. Is it just me or does Kyle Palmieri look like John Tavares? Um, now I have to go look because first of all, first of all, you're, also, you're obviously talking about a guy who's there with the no facial hair rule. Same eyes, same beak. Like, I, like for for many years, I didn't know Kyle Palmieri without a beard. That's you know that's fair. Because you know, as soon as as soon as the Devils weren't lose team anymore, and they could do that, he, everyone grew beard. Like, yeah. Um, 
Oh, this picture, definitely. Yes. Okay. So, he looks just like Don Tavares. Okay. There's a picture, like two different pictures popped up for what it's worth, by the way, when I did the Google search, right? The first one, he's smiling, like he's actually showing teeth with the smile. Okay. Because, because of that, I'm like, um, I don't know, because I don't think I've ever seen John Tavares smile like that. The, you know, fair the one enough. right below it is just a straight, like he's just looking at the camera. Just a mug shot. Basically. And that one, it's like, yeah, now I see it. Absolutely. Look it up. You're welcome. Um, this one, <laughs> hold on. This one, too, there's a picture of him from, this might be a junior picture for all I know, because it's a USA hockey picture. Um, he's not smiling as big as he was in the other one, so it's okay. like a half smile, still showing a little bit, like showing teeth a little bit, but not like full smile. Right, a little and grin. That, right, like a kind of a grin, and but that one, it's enough of a smile that I'm like, okay, I've seen John Tavares smile the same way. Yes, that that checks out. But this other Cut. one, this other one where he's not smiling, he's just looking at the camera, very much so. They like love that. having a one guy who looks exactly like that on the New York Islanders. What can I say? Um, if you look like that, call him up as soon as Kyle Palmieri retires. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, before we get out of here, something we have kind of briefly touched on a couple times throughout the show. Yeah, we want to do this. Um, yeah, the Flyers at the quarter mark here. So uh, on things, I know we talked about it on last week's show about the fact that, you know, the statistics about Thanksgiving and blah, 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 blah. On Thanksgiving itself, the Flyers had actually through a, a series of unfortunate events here uh, slid into third place or I'm sorry, fourth place in the Metro and by extension, or I'm sorry, it might've been fifth place in the Metro Yeah, they and were. by, and by extension had fallen out of the wild card spot. Um, they are back there now after beating the Islanders on Saturday night, as we sit here on Sunday morning recording, they are in second place in the division. Um, they are back in a playoff spot. It was fortunate for them that like all these other teams that the, that the hurricanes didn't play, the capitals didn't play on Saturday. So they win the game they're in, you know? Right. And, and right. We're talking about the quarter mark in the season. Actually. Beating who they beat influenced it too, because if the Islanders win the game despite the shootout, everybody gets it. Like, yeah, you get still it. got the loser point. Yep. But like, well, the extra point was what put them into second place again. Right. Technically, now that is a tight metropolitan division because between the Flyers and the Devils in seventh place is four points. Yeah, it's it's going to be a bloodbath. And, oh, and the Metro is always a bloodbath. Now, oh by the way, the two teams that are directly behind the Flyers, the Capitals and the Hurricanes, have. At least two fewer games played. So yeah, and the result, and, and are both heavily play. generating some momentum. And the Devils, with with just the games that they have to make up on the Flyers, because the Flyers are at twenty one. Right, the Flyers have played a ton of games. Right, so the Devils, by the way, with the two games that they have to make up, could technically catch the Flyers. Right, like the Capitals. By the way, the Capitals are sneaky, the best team in hockey right now over the last two weeks. Like they. They cannot lose. What do they buy points percentage? Because they've got to be over a few teams that are. In- oh, they're six forty-seven in points percentage. No, 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 they're no, way no. up there. Trying to compare, yeah. I was trying to do ranking, is what I mean. So in the in the conference, jumped, thirteen, twelve, eleven, ten, nine. Yeah, they're, they're right. third in the conference. In I think they're so I think yeah I think they're ninth in the league by points percentage. Yeah, yeah, and they're I think they started like one in four and now they're ten and f- ten five and two, yeah, they're and like they're, roll right now. they're coming. Look out! And oh. Ovi and Ovi hasn't even lit up yet. I know, and um, we all know he's gonna. So well, by the way, so let's 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 recap a, a couple things from the weekend as we get into yeah. it because the Rangers are maybe the best team in the conference now. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it, it sucks to say, to be honest with you. And I'm not saying that because they beat the Flyers. It's what they did the next day that when they beat Boston. Mm-hmm. That maybe solidifies they're the best team in the conference right now. They they came in and put a whooping on Boston. Yes. And that's, I'm just saying, that's they've been outstanding. I mean, 15-3-1 in 19 games is absurd. And it, right. and it is... And it is Flyers fans should understand this part of, of the equation for the Rangers because it happens it they had him because because he was a coach here. So the Peter Laviolette first year effect is a very real thing. We talk about the John Tortorella first year effect. We talked about the Alain Vigneault first year effect. That was fun. Um, is a very real but thing. Peter Laviolette's got a good one. And when you take a team that's as good as the Rangers already were. Yeah. And he just strapped the rocket to him. Now, we have to see how they manage gas tanks coming down the end of the season, right? We saw the Boston Bruins run into some some issues with that. But the difference between last year's Boston Bruins and this year's New York Rangers, there is a clear number one, and he very well might be the best goalie in the world right now. Yeah. And obviously, there's a lot of season left, and you know, you're not. We're not awarding the Vezina today, and you know, we talked about Aiden Hill, and you know, some guys or Cam Talbot, some guys having good seasons. Right. But if you're starting a franchise right now, and you can pick one name, are there any names you're picking over Igor Shostakin? Probably not. I mean, well, you sure can miss time though. That's or well, for pick, to pick a goal to start your franchise, yes. Well, I just mean like right. If you're starting a team from scratch, right? Yeah, he's probably the best. I mean, he's really obviously he's really good. <laughs> um, do you really really quick want to do the eight teams that are in at the moment? Because because by the way, yeah. I know you go all, like you even said going off of Thanksgiving. I really like to get to this point in the weekend and say, all right, you're through the Friday Saturday kind of gauntlet of the schedule because a lot of teams play, and now you can kind of look at it and say who. Okay. So, so as as of right now, the Flyers would host Washington in a playoff series, which I hear you. It's funny. fun. Uh, so right now it's the Rangers, the Flyers, uh, Washington in the, uh, in the Metro. In the, the Metro, Atlantic right. is Boston, Florida, Tampa, and the wild card is Detroit and Toronto. Which leaves Carolina out. It leaves Pittsburgh out. It leaves New Jersey out. Like it leaves some big teams out. We had expectations for yeah, right. So, obviously, we've talked about the fact that we don't necessarily expect the Flyers to make the playoffs. But as we sit here right now... By the way, speaking of teams that don't have, like, that may not have points, but also have a lot of games to play. Yeah. Look at Ottawa. Yep. Ottawa's only played 16 games to this point, so they're not even really at the quarter mark yet. Which means that they'll be backlogged a little more, for sure. But right. imagine, like, how many points, like, theoretically speaking... Yeah, they need to win three to get, three to even be in the conversation. Well, yeah, but they have three in hand on a lot of those teams in front of them. Is what I'm I, but they need to win all three of them is what I'm saying. You know what I'm getting at with that is what I'm getting at is that because they haven't played that much, if they can get on a roll at some point, they're not out of it even at 16. No, that's true. You know, just because you're chasing 23. Obviously, there's two teams at 22, three more at 20, and the Devils at 19 even are still very much in those races at four. Yeah. Like, they're all in it. Oh, there, there is nothing decided. Like, like last year, and even the year before that, we kind of knew by Christmas what a lot of the matchups were going to be. Yeah. I don't think that's happening this you year. Know, like, uh, to me, the only two things I'm confident in saying at this point are the Rangers and the Bruins are making the playoffs. Yeah, there might be 11 or 12 teams in the East that are in the, the playoff race for a long time. 
mean, I, th I think the West is going to cut off a little more cleanly. I mean, let's, um, let's, let's talk about something, too, because you already mentioned the ones that are out of the race, like are currently out in terms yeah. of like Carolina, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, that kind of thing. Toronto being the last wild card at 23 points, it's like that's – like the, I don't think that's going to last either. No. no. Tampa, I, Tampa, by the way, is an interesting team now because they're where they are and they just but got – Andre Vasilevsky just came back, right? Right. Like, no, but I'm saying like to yep. their credit – that's what I'm saying. Yep. He was sitting at 23 points in 20 games without him. Then they came. Then he came back. They won another game anyway. And in the West, real quick, by the way, the Central playoff teams are Colorado, Winnipeg, Dallas. The Pacific teams are Vegas, LA, and Vancouver. Love that prediction out of me. Uh, and the wild card, as it sits right now, is St. Louis, Seattle. Uh, and there's a pretty clear cutoff between the haves and the have-nots in the West at the current moment. Uh, there is a five-point gap between the Dallas Stars and the first wildcard team, the St. Louis Blues. Yes. Um, and the gap from the Pacific down to the wildcard is eight points. So uh, there's a pretty a pretty clear have and have not in the West, and I kind yeah. of expect that to continue. But there the should be a decent little battle for the wildcard. The wildcard race is going to be fun. Yeah, who who gets to get killed by Vegas and whoever comes out of the... Well, hold on a second. I'm going to pull back on that one for just one second, and I'll tell you why. Because, I, what? and again, it's just a what if. They do have the best player in the world. So what if Edmonton turns this thing around Man. and creeps in? And, and by the way, the only reason I'm going to bring that up like that because Edmonton's still at the very bottom of this thing. Like you got San Jose and Chicago who are right. clear at the bottom too. Edmonton's probably better than the record indicates. Like they, they're just there. That's a frustrated bunch. We know this. Minnesota's probably, I, I would say, is down in that lower class as well. Yeah, they might just be. They might just be taking a year off here a little bit. But I would keep everybody. I mean, I don't think Nashville's that great of a team, but based on what I've seen, but Anaheim, Arizona, like Anaheim and Arizona are two teams I've kind of kept on the. The, the wild, cusp. Well, the yeah. wild cards are the wild cards, so to speak. Like they're in the hunt. They could be fun. Yeah. Um, look at the team that's in the middle of those two, though. One of the other teams that we were like pronouncing dead in the water two weeks ago. The Calgary Flames are right back in it. I mean, you're two points out of a wild card spot at this point. Yep. Don't you think you're back in it at this point? So Absolutely. They've turned it on a little bit. That's an interesting team to watch as well. So that's what I'm saying. This that race could be fun. And I mean, seeing that it's a seeing that it's a little bit of a soft road in front of you. Like they're in a playoff spot, or they're two points out of a playoff spot. They're eight, ten, and three. They're eight and thirteen on the season. Right. Well, but but they were at one point in time. I think they were like five nine. And well, right. But if they were, but if they were nine and twelve, they'd be in a playoff spot. So. I'm good for them, and if they can turn around and make a run, it's gonna be it's I gonna mean, be super so, interesting. You, you want well. me to give it, give for context at this point? Seattle holds the final wild card spot with an eight, nine, and five record. Right. It's it, the West is tough. They're not even five. Like they're not even hockey five hundred. It's it's a real tough delineation between the haves and the have-nots, and right. that's that's what gives these teams like Calgary and Edmonton a chance to pull themselves out of it because I the mean, teams that are above you in the playoff race are just so bad. Right. I mean, the good news is is like four of the teams that we just said about the, like in the six that are in the divisional spots right. are exactly who we thought like they are and that they were going to be there. Like Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, and LA are exactly. But Seattle, Calgary. Uh, Edmonton, did St. Louis make the playoffs last year? Um, I don't think so. Don't think um, but Seattle, Calgary, and Edmonton made the playoffs last year. Did they not? No, I'm sorry. Calgary did not. Um, but there's a real chance Seattle and Edmonton miss. Oh, Minnesota did. That's what it was. Right. So there's three teams that made the playoffs last year that are currently 
not in a divisional spot. I know Seattle's right. sitting in the wild card, but like that are hanging on. I mean, let's just wait. You want to even lump in Winnipeg to the group of six that we're talking like in the group, okay. in the group to the group of four that I gave from that six because Winnipeg wasn't a playoff spot last year. They played right. Vegas first. Right? Oh, they did. You're right. So technically, we There's just, a... we just expected a huge downturn because of all the contract stuff and all of this, and they got the contract stuff out of the way, and they actually look like a legitimate team again. Well, and they got Blake Wheeler out to New York, which, by the way, I forgot he was a Ranger until that game on Friday. Uh, how about turning the clock back on that one? <sighs> frustrating to watch <laughs> they turned the clock back on blake wheeler and jonathan quick and they're the best team in the league and they're i don't think it's likely to happen at this point but there's still a chance that they're in the patrick kane running yeah i i, I, I don't think it's very likely right i know um i i hope he goes to buffalo for buffalo's sake i hope he goes to buffalo i think that would be really good for the organization is there a point though because obviously i think you're saying it for like that might help the organization in terms of maybe playoff push is what you're saying? Well, I think he signs the Claude Giroux deal. Well, no, I know. I'm saying if we, Well, if we make the playoffs this year, that's great. But I'm going to sign a two- or a three-year deal and kind of help help the rebuild along. Right. But well, here's what I'm getting at with that is I'm like, Buffalo's kind of almost like they're not out of it, but they're in that group. Like, look at the teams outside of New Jersey. Look at who's in that spot in the standings again. Yep. You know? Buffalo, Montreal, and Ottawa are all like bunched together again. But all it takes a a, a signing like, like well, losing streak and a a signing like Patrick Kane can strap a rocket to a team like the Buffalo Sabers. You give them a little bit of hope, a little bit of belief, and a little tiny bit of goal scoring, even if he's twenty percent of what he was, forty percent of what he was, a little bit of that Patty Kane magic, that Showtime. I know we say that could go a long way. Because I'm trying to put a wrap on it. Honestly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, the I know we say this every week, kind of in the week ahead, as we talk about it. Kind of, this is kind of another big week in terms of like, because the Flyers are obviously as of Saturday night into Sunday are in a playoff spot, and, and not just in a playoff spot, they're second in the division, which is kind of astonishing when you think about it. Truly, but, but all it takes, like, like I'm just really quickly off off the cuff here. Carolina plays on Sunday. So that's one team, that, and they're playing Columbus, no less, so a win, and they jump right back into the playoff picture, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah, they're, they're, in the, or they're right near the playoff picture, and they would jump the Flyers. So they're right back, like, you know what I mean? And the Flyers have them on Tuesday. They have New, New Jersey, who, again, like we said, a couple wins in the right direction, could be right back into the race. They, then they have a home-and-home home against Pittsburgh. Over yep. First one on Saturday, and, and then we'll talk, and then we'll come back with the with the Monday game. I know, right? And but it's a big divisional game, and we just talked about how stacked it's the Rangers, and then a complete flat line for basically the rest of the Metro right. until Columbus falls off the bottom. But whatever, um, like you said, two through seven is what four points separated. Yeah, this week we'll shuffle out a lot of that, well, and two through seven is just the four points like that, and then you're literally talking in the conference. You're talking Ottawa's behind at 16, which, which now given where the the Flyers are at 20, 23 points, we said in the standings, right? Something like that. Played, yeah, they've played 21 games compared to Ottawa's 16, so five games to make up with a seven point margin is a lot different than like the playoff conversation we're talking about. Like, there's room for that. And Ottawa, by the way, destroyed the Flyers in the first game that they played against each other this year. So right. Always that potential. But yeah, but your next four games are all divisional games, and I think with with it as close as it is, if you can get 
upwards of five points out of this next four games, I think you're pretty happy with it. Well, you, sure, you're happy yeah. from the playoff standpoint. What I'm saying is, is that if there's anything that this team has kind of taught us so far, it's that, that you know they are predictably unpredictable at this point. <laughs> um, yes. So, in in that respect, they could be you know we could be talking next week and they could be still in second place in the division because they're not obviously they're not catching the Rangers anytime soon. So they could still be second place in the division. Or they could be out of the playoff picture. Yep, absolutely. And I, I, I really do think, I know I, I feel like I say this every week, but I really do feel like we will have a much clearer picture of who this team is next week. I think, um, I think the answer is not coming until Christmas. Okay, and that's fair. And we are just a couple of weeks away from that. And uh, as we kind of roll on there, I think that's a good place to put a bow on the show. Um, make sure you hit us on the social media. We're at YWT Podcast. Uh, Kevin is at Kevin underscore Durso, including on Instagram where he's doing post-game reactions and a whole bunch of stuff over there. Uh, find us everywhere you find your podcasts, including sportstalkphilly.com. Uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, happy Thanksgiving again. I know we said it a, a little bit briefly on last week's show, but I hope everyone had a good holiday. And as we roll towards the December holidays, we wish you happy and merry on all of those as well. <laughs> we will get into that, and we will be back next week to talk about a couple of more games. Uh, until then, we'll see you.